0: yes it's me mark stone and this is the backseat driver podcast it's the fastest it's the friendliest and it's for all the family the gas shocks 116 trophy and 120 coupe cup are the fastest growing race series in the uk taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits visit 116 trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel Pot of tea to TT motorbikes. From a classic English breakfast to a full serving of classic cars. Bridge House Tea Rooms is the Northwest Premier Classic Car meeting location for cars, bikes, tractors, and owners clubs. So no matter what your automotive appetite might be, visit Bridge House Farm Tea Rooms on their Facebook page or call John and Alicia on 07980 444 for show details and to reserve your own table and parking space. I'd like to introduce to the Backseat Driver Radio Show, Anna-Louise Felsted, Professional artist, renowned for her automotive artistry, although Anna-Louise, who prefers to be known as AL, paints... Basically, a whole host of things. AL, hey welcome to the Backseat Driver radio show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me on.
0: It's a pleasure. Now, how long have you been an artist? Because there's always some point in time where somebody thinks well, that's what I'm going to do.
1: Shh started is very young, really. My dad used to come back from the office with these big, empty diaries. They didn't even have lines, and they were just huge blank pages. And I would just fill them up with sketches from a very young age. And he was into art himself, but not professional by any means. But uh, from a very young age, that's what I was was interested in, what I sought to be quite good at. And, yeah.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, I went to art college after doing my A-levels and did a foundation three-year at Brighton College of Technology. Then I went to Martin's, and then I did a three a two-year Master of Arts at the Royal College of Art. So I graduated from there in 2003.
0: You said like you discovered at a young age you could drum. Is it something that, as I've said, I can't draw to save my life? If my life depended on it, then that's a complete waste of time. When you discover you can draw or paint or whatever, is it something you then, you went to you know, at college, et cetera, is it something that you develop yourself? Do you think I can do that better? How does an artist from, shall we say, starting out, develop their skills?
1: I think it must come from a natural interest in the beginning. I do think that if you practice at anything you're gonna get better at it. When I look back at some earlier work that I've done, some of it I just it was so embarrassing. But that's <laughs> pretty normal if you talk to most artists. Do you have to find your style. And when I was very young, I mentioned my dad bring back diaries. I was like any child, I liked drawing, Mm. but he noticed a real interest and he started to encourage me not to draw stick men, for example. He said, no, people don't look like a stick. They have a neck and they have arms and they have wrists. And so I started drawing people. I remember this when I was probably five or six and suddenly being the first person in my class to be able to draw a human
0: that looked like a human.
1: Absolutely. I remember, it's quite embarrassing really, but giving my friends preschools preschool lessons on how to draw.
0: <laughs> um,
1: and my mum always cringes when I tell her this story that I remember auctioned down the uh, the, the staircase at my first school that I went to in in London, in Darlington. It's called Darlington Street. And uh, yeah, there would be all sorts of children's pictures on the walls. And if they hadn't cut them in properly, I'd have to go Mm -hmm. and get my pails, when no one was looking sort of silly.
0: It's
1: always been a passion, really. But when I went to art college, most of my work was black and white, black ink drawings on white paper. It's only been in recent years, in the last 15 years, I've had to learn my style and I'm still developing all the time. Even recently, I've started doing, bringing in new materials and experimenting with other mediums. So yeah, it's, it's a constant change really. And it's, it's exciting because of that. If, it, if I was doing the same thing the whole time, I'd get bored.
0: And <laughs> um, of course, as I said, though you paint a, a whole cross-section of subjects, you are also known for your automotive artistry. How did you start? How did you move from stick figures? And before we, just a, a quick interjection there. One of the greatest technically stick figure painters ever going was a somebody I was. I'm always a fan of since he was lived not far away from me. Technically was L. S. Lowry, who I suppose was the ultimate little stick man drawer who turned it into a literally into an art form. Uh, yeah. But how do you move from doing, from drawing and sketching, etc., and painting what you did? How did you move into painting cars?
1: It was an odd one, really. Um, I was always very good at painting things that were in front of me. I I wasn't one of these people that sit in my quiet studio with the radio on and just draw wonderful things from my imagination. I'm just not capable of that, really. It doesn't really interest me. I like to actually go out and see things and and draw them. I guess when I was at the Royal, actually no, earlier than that, when I was at St. Martin's, I was getting a bit concerned, actually, because I thought, how am I going to make a living? I can't do children's book illustrations because I don't really sure I have the not so much the imagination, but the interest to create sort of things from my head. I like to go out there and I was all about, all my projects were me going into dental surgeries, hairdressing salons, sitting on the street painting buildings. And and the teacher who I had at the time was like, listen, don't worry, there are lots of people out there called reportage artists who were sent out by magazines or newspapers to document events rather than sending out a photographer. And he introduced me to the artwork of Linda Kitson, who was the official Falklands War artist. Nice. And she was sent out there to to do all the drawings because I think it was after the Vietnam War, there was so much bad publicity coming back from all the photographers that that went out there, like Don Carlin and all those many sort of famous artists, Griffiths and all those guys. She went out there and did all these amazing drawings and... When I saw them, I was like, wow, I'd love to do something like that. It's so interesting. I'm always really, I, I love traveling. I love meeting people. I love being put into weird and wonderful situations. So I met her and, and again, I just kept going out and I found myself writing to PR companies, going backstage at London Fashion Week and drawing there, going to a dog show. All these weird and wonderful events where I wouldn't ordinarily go. Then the next thing is, I, I went to my cousin's wedding and she'd just married a captain of a submarine. And he was talking about how all these these things they did with the Royal Navy. And I was like, oh my God, I love Linda Kitts and I'd really love to go on submarines and do some drawing. And he said, well, you can't because you're a Sydney <laughs> yeah, it's organized for you to get on board trigger the Royal Navy. Anyway. Yeah. A few weeks later, I got a phone call from someone in Plymouth saying, Would you like to join HMS C HMS Cornwall at sea for a week? Your drawings. It was like the biggest. I mean, it was the most amazing opportunity. So off I went, and it's a long story. And I won't go into it now unless
0: you <laughs> want
1: details. But basically, I was just on this ship for a week, painting, fire exercises, man overboard exercises, photographing everything, making sound recordings. I could probably be paid a fortune by the sun for some of the things I, I got on uh, there, But I ended up having an exhibition, and and it was all very much sort of mechanical objects, sort of people involved with machinery in the ops room and in the in all these different rims on the ship anyway move forward a bit i got to be quite friendly with with some of the people in the navy who then invited me onto hms illustrious at sea so i was like thrown onto the the ship by a seeking helicopter and dumped and then there were harriers taking off whilst i was sketching on the bridge and basically i was doing this for quite a few years and the mod commissioned me to do some work for them um basically they wanted me to do paintings for their recruitment campaign and a friend of mine said, listen, you're doing all these paintings of ships and helicopters and you jump jets, but you should paint cars. And I thought this guy just had a bit of a crush and wanted to send me pictures of himself racing at Monaco. And bear in mind as well, I, I, money was tight. And the idea of traveling to Monaco and staying in a hotel and being there during the Grand Prix or the Formula, Formula One or the historic was wasn't expensive.
0: That's that's the problem. If you go to a Grand Prix, when you find a hotel you can afford, you discover that you're probably about seventy miles away from where you need to be. That every every mile away slightly reduces the cost of the hotel.
1: Absolutely, and it was it was frightening. I didn't know anyone in that industry. I know he, there was just one guy that said, "Come along." But yeah, bottom line is, I went. He said, "Listen, come with me. I'll introduce you to everybody. It can give you a pit pass." And paddock pass, and off I went. And literally, I think it was the first car I sat down and painted. Someone asked me how much it was, and then I got a tap on the shoulder, and someone said, when you finish that, can you come and paint this car? And then someone said, when you finish that, can you come and paint my car? And I was only doing paintings in ink, yeah. which dries very quickly. And obviously, it was quite warm. It was uh, May. But I don't I think it's the historic is in May. Anyway, before I knew it, I had about eight commissions. and. Yeah. They were very quick sketches. They were taking me between one and two hours. As I said, they dry very quickly and you could almost rip them off and give them to them there and then. But I didn't. What I would do is do the painting, take it home with me, scan it in, invoice the the client and then post the painting out to them. And someone said, listen, what are you doing next weekend? Are you coming to Monza? Or whenever it was. I said, what's Monza? And it took (laughs) fire out from there. I was going to Monza, Nürburgring, Spa, Dijon, all these amazing events. And, And then... After that, for a while, I I started going to the States to Pebble Beach and I went to Amelia Island last year before the pandemic hit. And it's just, it's been a bit bit of a roller coaster since then.
0: So when you were doing these sketches, I conclude, do you take a quick photograph of them or is it, shall we say, do you mentally capture that moment in time and then sit and reproduce it from memory?
1: No, not at all. I'd sit down in front of the car in the middle of the busy paddock with people running around with engines being started. And and I sit down with my paints and my sketchbook and do the whole painting there and then, which is quite unusual because I think, you know, a lot of people like to work from photographs because they're in their calm studio, yeah. you know, with Radio 4 in the background or whatever they listen to. Whereas that's not really my thing. I do that now a lot more because it's very difficult. i getting all over the place. I have clients all over the world sending me pictures of their cars to actually be at the event itself. And hearing all those sounds and smelling the oil and it's very it's really exciting to be there and you learn so much more i'm used to now sitting there and learning about the car you often get very enthusiastic owners or mechanics telling you about the history of the car and through those experiences of actually being in in, in the paddock or being at a concours event on the launch, my business cards next to me you get people inviting me to, the, to go and paint in their car and then you get the history of that and th- through those contacts that i've met over the years I, i've been lucky enough to, to rally in the Monte Carlo rally twice. Um, yeah. I was the driver twice. I did the Tour and in Alfa Romeo TZ1. We broke down unfortunately in the end, but it was still an amazing experience. And
0: I can actually relate to that. I've done the Tour Auto four times.
1: Oh, amazing.
0: It, it is, I must say, it is one of the most tiring events I have ever driven for the simple reason. you. The ones I did started on a Tuesday morning, very early on a Tuesday morning in Paris. And finished about two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And the interim time, you just never, apart from sleeping and having something to eat, you never stop.
1: But you're running on adrenaline, so I don't really. I don't think you feel tired, really. I didn't. I felt really tired during the Monte Carlo Rally. Yeah, I remember sleeping on the floor in this huge warehouse where we were having breakfast. I think we'd been driving. I think we left in early evening and drove through the night and then arrived at our destination about 11 the next morning or something. I can't remember. I remember that being very tiring. But I do think the adrenaline... I was doing most of the road stuff, and yeah. my uh, co-pilot was doing all the special stage. I didn't want to be doing that in his very expensive TZ1. But, um, so basically,
0: if it gets bent, it's his fault. It's nothing to do actually, with me.
1: And he had the pleasure of my charming comfy the whole way through. No, yeah. so It was really good. I was very lucky do it and as I said he this client of mine it was an amazing deal actually because he was like, "Listen, why don't you why don't you do this do you I said before I let you loose in my friend's car you're going to go to Finland to do an ice driving course yeah camp for ice driving so I did that and then he sent me to Sardinia where I got my Formula Ford racing license which is a naughty kind of quick way of getting your <laughs> but, yeah. well, having to do it the, the UK way but that enabled me to have my first race at Monza and then my second race was at Silverstone in the pre-63 GT race yeah. after Mayo I think it was a 1963 oh, I can't remember what it was now my memory's anyway it was really again an amazing experience but I think on the first lap I she did a 180 and I yeah. had a Ferrari bread van coming to-
0: <laughs> the- yeah can I point out that's a one-off car is a Ferrari and worth I think it's now got to shall we say Virtually eight figures in value was that car. Yeah, <laughs> luckily
1: nothing was bent.
0: <laughs> I think the thing is, though, from what you say, Mark, the Tour Auto and the big historic events, yes, they are exclusive events and they are expensive to take part in. But when you're actually doing them, they aren't especially very glamorous at times, are these? No. You said they are extremely hard work. I
1: think the Tour Auto is more glamorous. Venues were certainly much more glamorous. The dinners we had, God. I think you must know the
0: name You're of it. I forgot off the name of it and my memory is so bad. Pat, Pat, the, the, the Rolls-Royce Rolls Museum somewhere in Tronson. Every year that event takes different routes round yeah. because it, it recreates what was the Tour de France. Everybody knows the Tour de France now was the big cycle race, but before the organisers of, what is, of the Tour Auto, before it became that, they sold the name to the bicycling boys and now have to use Tour Auto, but they recreate all the old routes. Just as, actually, the bicycle race does. You set off in Paris, you finish wherever. The last one I drove in 2008 finished in Marseille, but you recreate all the old routes. Every year they they recreate the old routes and you'll finish somewhere different every year. But organised by a guy called Patrick Peter, as I said, apart from the fact at the end of every day somebody very kindly stuffs a bottle of champagne in your hands and says, drink that. You get out of the car absolutely exhausted. You get a... You must be
1: in a very glamorous location in your sort of filthy driving champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty exhausted, as you said. I have to mention Patrick Peterfuss, the most glamorous wine, the most amazing jewellery. That's always... I, I remember seeing her in the paddock, it was the most fantastic area. Yeah, Always car-related. Yeah, no, I, it was... I think yeah. it was really lucky, actually, having those experiences, because you did get to know more about you know, the sort of industry in the world. And, and uh, that's why I love the historic world so much more than the Formula One world, because I should have had some experience in the Formula One paddocks. So and I was invited by Christian Hornev to sit and paint for the Red Bull team years ago. And although it was very exciting and very high octane, it, it was very different. It wasn't as friendly, it was much more corporate. I was squeezed into this tiny pod in the middle of the paddock trying to draw. <laughs> And with all these sort of very important wealthy people standing behind me or jostling for a place just to see the back of the car, whereas I'm used to being having limited access at the historic Sorry. events, just wandering around, being able to chat to everyone, getting close to the cars, touching them if I want to. The Formula One was very different indeed.
0: I In the trouble with Formula One is it is, as you said, it is so corporate and so yeah. much money involved, and the drivers now aren't really characters anymore. They are just people who get paid a fortune to sit in a car and drive it around the historic guys the cars have all the character a lot of them have history that is unbelievable which of course is what makes them as valuable as they are but the people involved are all friendly you can go and talk to these guys
1: Absolutely, and you get in that world you get the very very wealthy car owners on a similar on the same level as someone who's been a mechanic all their life but because they have knowledge and interest they're, they're spoken to with such respect. There is so much respect there, and I love that about it. Yeah. It is just a, a wonderful, and it's a big family. I've been doing this for, well, as I say, professionally, the cars, since 2008. And I can pretty much go to most car events now and know a bunch of people there. Yeah, obviously, everyone just travels around in a big pack. Um, but it's all always fresh, new people as well. It's just a very wonderful world. And actually, when I first started out, I remember... Being a student and thinking, what am I going to do to make money? How am I going to make, how am I going to make a living out of painting? Because everyone is saying that's very difficult to do. But I remember speaking to a, a photographer who is, was a good friend called Tom Studdart. Um, oh, yeah. He used to meet up with me in sort of wine bars when I was a student and buy me dinner and just say, you've got to find a niche, AL. Just, you can't just paint what you like, flowers or whatever. But you've got to find something that's interesting that you get good at. And I never really thought I'm going to go and paint cars. I just followed what I loved, which was mechanical objects, the machinery, people, architecture. And that's why I love, for example, going to events like Monaco. Yeah. Because I'm standing on in the pit wall, lucky enough to have access to it. And I say it's not actually that hard, really, least you've got friends who are racing. And having done this for so long, I have met lots of people who do race. So I get access. And you've got the track, you've got the crowds of people with the wonderful characters, big hats and city sunglasses or whatever, and you've got the backdrop of Monaco with all the cranes and amazing facades of buildings. It's just a dream to me.
0: Now, when you start to paint a car, be it a racing car or, shall we say, down at one of the big concours where one of these st- cars with staggering bodywork, one-off unique bodywork, are sat in front of you, where do you start? When you put your pencil on the uh, on the canvas or on the paper or the brush, where do you start? What do you look at and think? I'll start there.
1: Firstly, you've got to work out the basic composition. So normally, I like to sit at a three-quarter length angle, so I can get the front of the car and make sure that's in the centre of the page. You don't want to start at the bottom and then realise that you've run off the side. You've got space at <laughs> the back. So that's <laughs> the, most, the most important thing. So I tend to start with just a pencil, yeah, and to do a very rough sort of circular outline. And then I'll just, I don't know, I'll start maybe at the windscreen and sketch them out. I'm very quick. I think, and I I say this to students of mine that I occasionally teach, there are a lot of people when you're trying to draw, they're very nervous about making the wrong mark and they're constantly getting the rubber and erasing marks that they've made. I've never, I was told by an art teacher many years ago when I was at school, my darling Mr. Wood, who I now write letters to, Simon Wood, and he just said a drawing is a series of corrections. So I'm a bit gung-ho about it. I go straight in. And if it really is terrible, you can always start again. But I feel like just light pencil lines, be really confident and just get the basic outline. And then once the pencil lines are in, then I use a black Indian ink bottle, which I use with a dip pen. And I get that black ink on the page, which is great because it dries. Once it's dry, if you put any other watery paints over it, the black doesn't melt into the smear. So I use the black ink on top of the pencil. Once I've got the pencil exactly as I want it. And then on top of that, I start to use either my inks or my watercolor paints. And sometimes people just want the car with a white background, nothing else, maybe a bit of shadow under the car, that's it. Yeah. But I think that when I'm at these events, like if I go to the Quail, for example, in in the States every year, it's such a fantastic event with the most amazing backdrop. It's sponsored by Rolex. You've got the most glamorous looking people walking around holding martinis or bottles of champagne. You've got beautiful girls walking around in stunning dresses. It's just a, such an amazing event. Backdrop of the scenery around and you know, all the tents, the hospitality tents. When I'm at event, an event at an events like that, I'll paint the car, but I'll also paint the people. And the beauty of painting on location is that if I'm working for a photograph, you're just painting what in the photograph. Yeah. Whereas if you're live, let's say a fabulously beautiful woman or just eccentric man walks past you wearing a wonderful hat. With a dog in a dress or whatever. Because you do get all... Well, <laughs> they might whip past you for a split second, but I've seen it, I've captured it, and I'll put it in the painting. And the beauty is you can just really edit what you want. I might put to someone with a bit of a pop belly holding a pint in their hand. That, that's quite fun to do as well. It just yeah. depends where you are. And you get that like you're in a Seca. It's just a different vibe at each event.
0: That's one thing I was going to ask you. When you're painting at, say, Monaco or Monza, and you're painting in the pit lane and historic cars or whatever... What do you decide to include or leave out? And how much do you, shall we say, interpret yourself and think we can put that in, that was there, or as you said, somebody walks past, and they might Mm. have walked past 10, 15, 30 minutes ago. What do you decide to include and not? Because if you go to Monza or anybody, you go to any big circuit with any big event, the background is incredibly busy because there are so yeah. many people there and so many things going on. What do you decide will include that, but we won't include that?
1: Depends on the time when I go to an event like the quail, I will go there and the first thing I will do is just find a car or a scene or a backdrop that I find the most interesting. Yeah. And that's where I can base myself for a good three or four hours because that's how long it takes me to do a busy painting. And that attracts a lot of attention. So I want to be doing something that I like. And that's when I do those busier scenes. Now then people can see what I'm doing. And they often walk past me in the first 10 minutes and see me sitting there with a very sort of simple pencil sketch. And an hour or two later, they'll come back and they'll go, why have you done that so quickly? And it's only because I've, I'm experienced in doing these things quickly. You have to. When I was in Monaco starting out, I'd be laboriously painting a car and then suddenly it would go off oh, to And I'd be like,
0: <laughs> Realised
1: that that was just the way it was, where so I had to work really fast, and so it, it really does depend. Some clients don't want the busy background. Some clients specifically, so they don't want anyone an tractor in their paintings. <laughs> I was in I was at an auction at Pebble Beach in 2010, and I met a guy who had seen my work and said, "I'd really love you to paint my car, but I'd like you to paint my girlfriend in the car in the painting as well." I was like, "Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry." He's like, I'm going to send you some pictures of her because she's not here, but please don't be offended by her attire. And I was thinking, oh, God, what does this mean? Anyway, the next thing is, I go back to the UK and he starts sending me pictures of this Aston Martin and his girlfriend. In
0: yeah.
1: Pretty much a PVC outfit. <laughs> and <so> I went, <laughs> yeah. went into bondage. So if you could give that flavor within the painting, that would be great. So I did this pencil sketch as Googled bondage to get some sort of reference material and yeah did This guy whipping her with a whip, and he was like, That's great. Can you change the whip to a paddle? <laughs> I didn't know what a paddle was. <laughs> oh, okay. So I changed the whip to a paddle. I've got a girl. Anyway, I did this scene, but I got a bit carried away when I put ink to paper. So I had a few more characters in there. I had a woman in a sex swing, all this different stuff. Anyway, I presented him with this final painting. He's so like, saying, I cannot hang this in my office. What were you thinking? I was You said you were the one that commissioned a bondage painting.
0: <laughs> anyway, by the sounds of it, by the sounds of it, the Aston Martin was something of, shall we say, a secondary subject.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But he ended up putting it up in his office. But regardless of that, I don't know where put it in the loop. But I put it on Facebook and tagged a bunch of friends, including car clients. And suddenly I was inundated with people saying, can you paint my VW split screen or could you paint my corlettes? And and all of them then started to have these crazy party scenes where it was bikini-clad women washing a car or a party, you know, with lots of alcohol and, and pizzas. Yeah. You know, men with their boxes half down underneath a car kissing a woman. And they were published in Octane magazine and as a sort of a naughty risque case. To commission to someone. So it really has changed over the years. So I've just done all sorts of weird and wonderful things. But it, again, I, I think a lot of people in the in the historic world have a lot of humour. And I think there are so many people who are used to going to these events, like you go to Tour Auto, and you've got always oh, got a photographer there, and you've got hundreds of pictures, similar angles. And it's just nice to have someone offering a different kind of style.
0: Yeah. I suppose the problem is if you're doing paintings like that, you've got to be careful that you don't develop a reputation as that is the only thing you do. So I conclude, besides because they commissions and you paint them, that you still try and, shall we say, make sure people realise that you are, shall we say, don't be funny, a conventional artist. These are just things you were asked to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually, um, after doing the, the, the one of the the Aston Martin, I, I did a, a Land Rover shooting scene because yeah. I knew, Someone who loved shooting and that was just for fun really. And that's become one of my best selling prints. I moved to New York for a couple of years and back in 2000, I think it was 12 or 13, I went to New York. I came back in 2015. And I remember a friend of mine who's quite high up in the art world saying, listen, you must take these naughty car paintings off your website because it devalues you as an artist. And you've got to be a bit careful. And I did, but after a while I thought, you know what, I'm a single working mom. I need to make a living. I would, as I said before, if I was just doing the same old thing every day, the same old stuff, I would get so bored. Yeah. And I'm really lucky. I think we mentioned earlier. And of course, the majority of my work up until recently has been majority. Majority of my work has been based on the automotive industry and that historic events and some F1 events. But it, I really love doing different things. And so I just put the, the naughty ones back on my website. Right. And as a result, some of those are now I've, I've partnered up with a friend of which producing placemats under the Navy press, and we're selling these naughty car paintings on placemats. And it's just, I think you just have a lot of strings to your barrel at this day and age. You can't, you can't just rely on one kind of client. I yeah. Suppose.
0: Now of all the cars that you've painted, which is the car that you've painted or which are the cars that you've painted that, shall we say, you really wanted to paint those? Have you had favorite cars that you've painted?
1: Absolutely. I think the pre-war
0: era is my favorite.
1: Any old well, Bugatti's or ER. They've got so much character, and the lines are so quirky and fun. When I get paint, I get commissioned to do more modern cars. They're much more sleek, and the lines are uh, trickier. But I think my cars, the paintings are always slightly uh, wonky, if you like, and that's the character. And I'm not trying to create a photographic representation. I want them to have some character, and that's what I tend to do. Really, when I'm working, just to try and give them a bit of bit of character.
0: Yeah, thinking about that, it's like shall we say, Impressionism. What the Impressionists painted was what was there, but they didn't go to... There are some artists out there whose paintings look like photographs. There's a gallery near to me, and there's a guy who's been exhibiting there, and at first I thought they were photographs, and they're not. But at times you think, they're very nice, they're very good, but they don't convey any emotion, and I suppose that's the one thing with a racing car or a, a big historic... Even if it's, well, in a painting it is a static uh, subject, but it's to put some emotion and things like that into it.
1: Uh, yeah, those paintings of, that look like photographs, they're amazing, but they do they do leave me a bit cold. But then they're hugely popular as well. It just depends on everyone's preference. Tim Lozell, for example, he's an artist who I'm um, very, Good friend of mine and he paints a very realistic in a very realistic style and 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 they're hugely popular but then he does this more pop art kind of style which i prefer and um again he he does really well out of those as well so it really does depend and he's got two styles going on i suppose i've got my different styles of the sort of the the naughty ones and then the more serious ones but the thing about when you're not painting for a photograph as i said before you can really add your own emotion to it really and you're and quirkiness and I think that in a lot of my paintings people say that they look at them and then maybe a week later they'll see something different in them yeah or recognize something I think that's really lovely to have that but you know the artwork is like Marmite isn't it you might like an artist or absolutely hate their style and I'm sure there are people that that don't appreciate what I do and that's fine everyone's different it's just it it just just depends on on what your commission is doing that obviously sometimes I'm commissioned to paint things that don't really float my boat but I'm not going to say no (laughs) that I love to do so it, it it's, I think that's pretty
0: normal though. Now, given that you've driven in the Tour also in Alfa Romeo TZs, you've painted some of the, some phenomenally historic sports cars racing cars, what does AL drive herself?
1: Nothing at the moment, because I've just realized my car is, is about to be charged by Sadiq Khan tw- £12.50 a day. So I'm actually looking for a new one. I'll probably go for an Audi or something. Not, nothing particularly exciting. I, want, I just want to get something that's big enough that I can put paintings in the back of my car. Yeah. But I don't do a huge, huge amount of mileage these days. I'm living in London. Back in the day when I lived in Cornwall, I was commuting from Cornwall to London most of the time, at least once or twice a week when I had a gallery down there. So yeah. I'm not doing that kind of mileage <laughs> these days.
0: And if you could have which car you wanted, of all the cars, that's the problem. You exist in a world, shall we say, to a degree similar to mine, where a lot of the cars that you you encounter are the cars that other people only see in magazines. I've always said I'm very fortunate with the people I meet and the cars I see and the cars I've driven. What car would you like to own if you thought money's no object? I'm not bothered how much fuel it uses. I'm not bothered how much money Sadiq Khan's going to charge me to drive it around in London. What would you have? That's such a difficult question, though, because are you
1: taking into consideration things you can move about,
0: or, or just something? Two, well, let, let's do the ball. There are some actually beautiful estate cars out there, or big cars you can get things in, and there are cars you would People know this, but certain listeners if any of the listeners. My daily driver is a Fiat Panda four-wheel drive that I love to bits. It just puts a smile on my face every time yeah. I drive it. Yeah. My other car is a Morgan 4.4, which, after you've put a briefcase in the back of it, everything else you have to lash over the rack on the spare wheels.
1: This is it. It's not very practical. Not
0: very practical, but an enormous... The, the pleasure of just driving a Morgan and everything else because of the history that goes with that make of car.
1: Yeah.
0: So there you are.
1: I guess... Two, I mean, two I mean, cars. I mean, I I guess if I was to choose something purely for the look of it, I would choose Nash Alfa Romeo Tipo Stradale 33.
0: Yes, beautiful bit. Because
1: I just think that's the most stunning looking car, those lines are insane. But that's not very practical for day to day.
0: No, and um, what would you have shall we say, it can be a modern car. If you were going to have a car as a practical piece of equipment, but one that you still wanted to own and drive around in, what would that be?
1: which is a hard one, because I've always loved Range Rovers. My parents used to have them, but that's such a boring answer. I'm, I'm trying to be very ethical at the moment, and I suppose I'd try, try and find something that was electric. Um,
0: you don't have, you have to be ethical. The one, thing, the one thing, I don't know whether Carol Canoo, who is one of previous guests and the racing driver who's based in France, said to me, she said, the great thing about you, Mark, is you're not PC. What would you like to drive and uh, bugger the greenies?
1: Okay. Out of the greenies, I suppose. I don't know, big old four-wheel drive that really pissed everyone off. <laughs> <either>. <laughs> Shh.
0: Lovely great big petrol engine underneath that made a lovely roar Absolutely. every time you turned the key.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I do love... Being able to put my shirt down, but that's the problem. Again, even if I drive out to see friends in Wiltshire, the M4 now—it's an average speed check. It drives me crazy. So it's the same going down to Cornwall. You're stuck in the 50 mile an hour zone. That—that's the issue these days. It's just I need to move to Germany,
0: clearly. The challenge is these days. A lot of the time, when you are allowed out of the house, is you sit there and you think, "I wonder what I can get it to do MPG wise." And it's a challenge you have. I had a few weeks, a couple of months ago the big petrol-engined Jeep Wrangler, the latest one, and I actually achieved 33 to the gallon with it, and I impressed myself by thinking, I have all this power under my right foot, and look what I've actually got this thing to do.
1: It's not bad.
0: Which isn't bad at all. Now, if somebody wants to get in touch with you or commission you, what are the best ways of doing it? I know you have a Facebook page. What is your website?
1: My website is um, www.alfelstedt.com. All people generally these days message me through my Instagram account, which is AL Felstead.
0: Yeah. And that's how you do it. And if somebody commissions you, roughly how long do they have to wait?
1: It really depends on the projects I have going on at the time. But uh, sometimes not too long. I would say within a month I can usually get stuff out, especially if it's a a watercolour or an ink painting. Some clients prefer the larger oil paintings on cameras and they can take quite a lot longer because the oil takes much longer to dry. Yeah. And obviously it depends on how busy I am at the time, but not usually a ridiculous amount of time. And some people just want a very quick little sketch of their grandfather's Aston or something, it doesn't always have to be a very big job so yeah. it, it just
0: varies So basically you will, if you want a better term you will paint anything as such or you will produce a painting or an image for them in whatever medium they're looking for, whereas some Absolutely. artists will only paint in certain things like I know one artist that will only paint huge canvases in oil and it takes when somebody commissions her, it takes forever for them to get the painting uh,
1: You will no, produce whatever the they want yeah, pre-Christmas, people were still commissioning me in, in December and I just worked extra hard and managed to get them all done in time. So I'm very aware that I, I don't want to be one of these people that make, I don't know, it really just depends, as I said before, on how busy I am, but I do try and be as effective with my time as possible. And yeah, as I say, my style, I'm, I'm very used to working quite quickly, so that, that's been quite beneficial in some ways. It's
0: fascinating to speak to somebody who paints quickly because I said the other artists I've encountered all take months over everything. So, it's just fascinating to speak to an artist who produces work so quickly, but more or less produce it on the spot. So, if,
1: if any any of your listeners interest, are interested, they go to my Instagram page. I do a lot of paintings with time lapse. Um, so, you can see the process. And uh, Recently, over the, the, the lockdown period, I haven't been able to get to any of these car events. So, I've been painting a lot of people's houses or um, cars, which they spend pictures of. And, and I've been doing quite a few of those. On time-lapse, which is quite, it might be an interesting way of seeing this, because actually when you speed up the whole footage, it's quite interesting to see how an artist starts. There are lots of artists doing it at the moment, but I certainly don't start in one part of the painting and just colour it in and it just get bigger and bigger. It's really, my hand is darting all over the place with different colours the whole time. It's, it's, it's a bit manic, really, oh. how I manage my life, but that works to me.
0: AL, or... Anna-Louise Fellstedt, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, talking to an artist. Who does it the way you do, you do it? Absolutely fascinating. So thank you very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver radio show. No
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: The Backseat Driver podcast is brought to you in association with Tim Nash and the Lombard Rally Festival the UK's premier classic rally demonstrations. From the awesome Group B cars to cars from the golden era of rallying, go to the Lombard Rally Bath social media for dates and venues. Rarely beaten on price, never beaten on service. Whether it's cars, bikes, or commercials, Hoddy Tyres are the best in the business and when it comes to tyre expertise and advice to supplying the correct tyres for your vehicle's specific requirements, nobody comes close to David Lakin and the Hodder Tyres team. So give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddertyres.co.uk.